0: Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at The Legendarium Podcast at gmail.com.
1: Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss The Fellowship of the Ring, Book One, Chapters One and Two, in an episode titled Birthday Parties and Birthday Presents.
0: Welcome everybody! Very excited to be here. I am Craig. This is Ryan. And uh, okay, we're we are starting this uh, Lord of the Rings podcast. Um, we are going to be going uh, systematically through the entire trilogy or volume, if you you know if you're not into that whole splitting of the volumes thing.
1: So, and if you're looking for uh, us to begin with the Hobbit, you are. In the wrong place. Yeah,
0: that's not what we're doing. We uh, so Ryan, I'll tell you the reason we're doing this. One of the reasons is because Ryan has never read The Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, I I weep a little bit on
1: the inside thinking now, about now, that. But in my defense, it's not from lack of trying. There have been times <laughs> I have made it through the Fellowship book, but have never pushed through the entire entire series. So I'm missing everything basically from where the Fellowship ends on.
0: Okay, so and and you are not the first person to tell me that in fact i would say it's pretty rare for me to ask somebody hey have you read the lord of the rings and for them not to say "Ah, you know i made it most of the way through the fellowship i read the hobbit yeah well yeah the hobbit that's a completely different beast um anyway or a completely different dragon if we want to
1: oh and that's the sort of comedy you can expect here on the lord of the rings podcast
0: uh we might call it comedy gold Oh. oh all right so anyway, now I uh I have read the Lord of the Rings um many times uh you know in multiple languages and for many years I have uh absorbed this entire world. So that's part of the reason we're coming at this together is because it, you know we thought it would be interesting uh, for Ryan's first time, you know, really his first time going through this book uh, to kind of get the perspective of somebody who's really fresh, um, and then somebody who is uh, weathered and stale when it comes to Middle Earth.
1: It very much similar to the the opening of the the book here, where you have the Bilbo Baggins character who is hitting his 111th birthday, then you have the Frodo who is still in his very young time frame, coming into the it, it, literally coming in of age so I'm for Bilbo. the Hobbits. You're Bilbo. Got and it. Frodo. Okay.
0: Now, that reminds me, actually, I kind of want to start this off on a a more lighthearted note. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now, I guess I'll I'll let you guys know uh, what we did. We read the first two chapters uh, for this particular cast, um, and I am going to do uh, Craig's Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia, Trivia. Trivia. and this is going to be uh, directed at Ryan. So I came up with 10 questions of varying difficulty. Some of them will be really easy. Some of them might be really hard. Hopefully, a lot of them are in the middle. Um, and uh, so, we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock that we are not going to keep track of. And we'll <laughs> see how many of these you get
1: right in our uh, in our uh, lightning round. This this makes me feel very much back in school, like when teachers would give you pre-tests for things to oh, see how yeah. much you know. Right. Here's your pre-test. And- this is...
0: All right. So, your pre-test. Ready? Set? Go. Frodo and Bilbo share a birthday. What is the date of that birthday?
1: Um... September 22nd.
0: Very good. And what were their ages at the party,
1: the party, in chapter one? Uh, Bilbo is on his 111th and Frodo is 33. Very good. Gandalf
0: added his own special effect to Bilbo's disappearance. What was it?
1: He added a spark. A big white flash when he... Good. A flash
0: of light. Yes. Bilbo. When Bilbo leaves, he doesn't go alone. Who were his companions?
1: Three dwarves.
0: I am impressed. Three unnamed dwarves. Yes, indeed. Bilbo left a present for Lobelia's Sackville Baggins. What was it?
1: Spoons! Because she was always stealing the spoons.
0: (laughs) That's right. She was suspected of stealing his spoons at the end of The Hobbit. Um, Sam's cousin Hal
1: claims he saw something in the woods. What did he see? He saw what we will learn later is an ent. And what did what did Sam describe it as? A giant like man tree. I can't <laughs> A walking elm tree. A walking elm tree, but there are no elms in that part of there, so he couldn't have seen it.
0: Okay, fill in the blanks. One ring to rule
1: them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness. Find them.
0: Very good. All right. Who were the two kings who died defeating Sauron at the end of the Second Age?
1: El, El, Elendril, Elendril or something like that. The father of Isildur and the king of the elves whose name Nice. Named oh well, that's pretty good. Gil-galad and Elendil. Got
0: it. Who assisted Gandalf in hunting Gollum? Siri. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> Aragorn, the greatest ah. traveler and huntsman of this this age of the world. Um when Gollum couldn't find Bilbo after the events of the Hobbit, where did he go?
1: He made his way to Mordor where all evil goes.
0: Very good. Congratulations. Thank you. I am impressed, actually. I thought that uh, I think the only one you really struggled with was uh Gilgalad and Elendil. Yeah, I didn't remember the names. Did but, not uh, remember names. Well. Alright, so I'm satisfied that you at least read chapter one. Woohoo! And you have at least seen the movie. <laughs> so um yeah, very good. Um let's uh, so let's get into a little bit of the meat of it. I'd now just so uh, you guys listening understand, we haven't really talked about this yet. Um, you know, we read it uh, over the last couple days, um, but we haven't prepped for this at all. So my first question for you, uh, Ryan, is did you like it? I did. How are the first two chapters?
1: You know, one of my biggest concerns about approaching this from mem- you know, from past memories is that I can easily get caught up in... Um, a lot of time being spent describing things. I mean, and the first two chapters, not a problem at all. Everything moves quickly. You know, the stories is told very, you know, very well. They progress things. Um, while still giving you enough moments of detail that I I didn't really feel like I was, I didn't feel bogged down with, you know, the, the colors of the tree. They can, they can happen in some book series. You know, well, it, it has it, its place. I feel like it
0: happened once or twice, even in these first couple chapters, just describing too much stuff. But you know,
1: whatever, we'll grant him his license. It happened. A couple mean, you, paragraphs. You have to create the world around uh, around the characters and everything, so it, it, it's completely understandable. But uh, the first couple chapters of this, um, really, uh, if if I were to try and imagine this without seeing the movies, without having read the books before, just what it's a setting up. I mean, within the first two chapters, you've already established that there is something going on here that is so epically large that exists currently in such a small world that i think it's you know there's a lot of potential set up there and being that i know what it is you know it's it ruins the surprise a little bit there's a little bit of a yeah yeah i know what's coming so
0: sure sure um all right well good uh, pull up my notes there for me all right good um now i wanted to ask you with these, um, with these first two chapters, um, a big question that comes up a lot uh, is why why The Lord of the Rings is so popular. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that was coming out. This, you know, a lot of people talk about how he's the father. Tolkien is the father of modern fantasy, uh, which is totally true as far as I'm concerned. But what's interesting is he's hardly the first. You know, there was a bunch of science fiction and fantasy that was coming out at the time and stuff that's even i would say still pretty popular and so some of the people that were being uh, uh that were being published around the same time you have Isaac Asimov, CS Lewis, Richard Matheson, Aldous Huxley, Ray Bradbury, Kurt Vonnegut. These are names that we should all know. Um hopefully we've read, you know, one or two of the the items on their their okay. list. But, you know, and, and while they are i'd say classics, nobody quite uh, inspires the fervor that Tolkien does. Can you can you uh, see anything going on in at least these first couple chapters that would explain to some degree why why this is the case?
1: Mm, I I wouldn't say I see anything in the first chapters to be honest that that's uh, that establishes this as a different classic work compared to the others. I mean, you're really breaking if you really break it down, you go back to some very traditional stories that are told from even beyond, you know, earlier times. You know this this whole concept of a tragic hero and and uh just the the good versus evil battle that seems to have existed since the beginning of storytelling you know that they're very common uh ideas that exist through all of the through all of this story and through other stories um so but there's nothing about this one specifically other than the fact that you've imbued one object with uh, with as much power as you have in a lot of these a lot of other stories i I'm going to throw a, a name and, a, and a, another book series out here, which I'm sure we're going to address at some point in time, if not in, earlier. And it's the uh, Shannara series. Sure. Um, which it, may be Shannara. I hope I don't get a bunch of letters on that one. Okay. <laughs> it's But uh, in many science fiction and fantasy, there is the idea of some object being imbued with mm-hmm. great power. And that is one thing about this one that if I look at some of the other ones, you know, uh, maybe, you know, like the Ray Bradbury or some of his works, you know, I don't really get quite that fantasy of, of one object imbued with power. Um, whereas with this, that is the case, you know. Sure. Uh, same, C.S. Lewis is a little different as well. I mean, there's different items, but, you know, they're, if you go to his uh, Narnia series, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I mean, he has a lot of symbolism. Um, through those but it's not really one object whereas with the lord of the rings you've already established this is the one ring you know within the first two chapters right so a lot of times characters don't know what they have until further down you know the first book and that's yeah uh, and neither
0: do we and i i think uh i think you're absolutely right so far in the first couple chapters uh yeah it's it's good um but we have no distinction right there's no there's nothing to say this is you know the best thing that's ever been written right <laughs> um but it, it's a question that i i hope that we come back to a lot uh, as we go through the as we go through these volumes uh why is lord of the rings not just so not just so popular because lots of things are popular but why is it so fanatically loved by people mm-hmm. um and and another question a, a twin question might be why is it so hated by critics it's not as much as it used to be but uh that might be a question that we don't answer quite so thoroughly because we may not be quite so qualified. Um, and then, uh, you know, another question that, um, that will come up, I, I hope will come up a lot is the, so what question, you know, why do we read books? Hopefully we're reading it because we get something out of it. What are we getting out of the Lord of the Rings? Uh, you know, it's, Why is this story, you know, resurrected certainly by Peter Jackson, not resurrected, but, uh, you know, re-revived by Peter Jackson? Why is it so popular again? Um, Obviously, there's something there for people of our generation to latch on to. And so hopefully we can find what that is. Um, Anyway, so first couple chapters, do you novice padawan have uh, any questions for me anything that jumped out to you or questions that maybe should have been answered in those first couple chapters
1: Uh, i don't know about should have been answered i do have i do have the one thing that and it, it comes it comes from looking ahead and from knowing a little bit ahead there i don't understand entirely the power of the ring so here, let me try and explain to you what my idea and understanding of the ring is, of the One Ring of Power is. And maybe you can kind of give me a little guidance as to okay. why in the world does this ring matter so much? So, first of all, they talk about all the different rings that were created. There's a whole bunch. And out of all those rings, there are only three that are not somehow uh, affected or, or taken by the One Ring. And those are the three elves, the three rings owned by the elves. If I remember correctly. Yeah, sure. More or less. Um, But it, it says, it, it talks about how all of the other rings, I guess, fall under the dominion of this, of the one ring there. And be, Sauron put so much of himself and his power, he sacrificed so much of himself and his power into the ring, you know, that it's almost sentient by itself. And that's what granted it its power over i I struggled understanding why the one ring has the power over the others,
0: sure, and you know it's uh i I can't answer your question. nobody else can answer your question. Tolkien couldn't even answer your question necessarily. I mean maybe but um part of uh part of this myth um for good or bad is that uh, we're not given a, a whole lot of detail about how magic works in middle earth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're told Gandalf is kind of like blazing a a trail through the snow later, you know, when they're tramping through the snow, he's using his staff to kind of like melt away the snow. How's he doing that? Well, you know, this isn't fantasy from the last 10 or 20 years where everything is explained in minute detail. I'm thinking most recently of Brandon Sanderson, who I freaking love. And who describes how his magic works in great detail mm-hmm. in his books you know and and uh, and so there are definitely merits to that, but this isn't a book where that's gonna happen um and so at a certain point, you just have to let it go is the only answer uh that that I can give you mm-hmm. um how does it work well, you know sauron is uh he is let's just say he's ancient uh and learned in the ways of the force. <laughs> and knows how to you know so so when he creates something he's uh, he's studied out how to uh, how to um, how to make something with dominion over all these other rings you know r- right. ring making was not a new thing when Sauron did it you know and so he's learned how all these other rings were made and so he knows all right well if I write this little bit of code it's going to be the skeleton key that lets me access all of these other rings mm-hmm. so who knows.
1: Hmm. And then this one might be a little more answerable because he, he touches on it a little bit, you know, he's like, well, why don't we just throw it in the fire? Why don't we destroy it or try or take it to a smithy and destroy it or something? Mm-hmm. The only way it can be destroyed is to return it to the forge from whence it came. Mm-hmm. Is there any significance or any specific reasoning why that would why that's the case? I mean... They, they also they allude to the idea that dragon fire potentially could but the one ring would probably not be destroyed by dragon fire
0: right but i mean he's uh, and gandalf specifies he, he says yeah maybe dragon fire but any of the dragons who made fire that hot they're long gone mm-hmm. you know they, nobody's nobody's around now certainly who can do that um and so that makes it our only option and, and so i guess uh why couldn't they find some other volcano to throw it into i don't know <laughs> i
1: don't this know It happens to only be the one in middle earth to go to which is can, okay here's this is i know it's a little bit of a joke and i'm sure a lot of people have, so an entire elven language incredibly two interesting names you know okay two elven languages everything <laughs> yeah. there mount doom oh yeah sure you go through you have all these names everything you can mount doom
0: yeah you know why that's the translation the name of the mountain is Orodruin, Mount Doom. It is the mountain of doom.
1: <laughs> there, I smack thee down. <laughs> okay, I, I'll take that. I still, I still, I mean...
0: No, I, I totally agree. In fact, I, I'm sure that pieces of my my own personal history with Lord of the Rings will come out as, as we do a lot of these casts. But um, I remember when a mutual friend of ours actually... Uh, handed me the Lord of the Rings when I was fifteen years old he said uh I, I was looking for something new to read and he hands me this book and he says here read this and I look at it and I said The Lord of the Rings? The Lord of the Rings? That's the stupidest title I've ever heard. That is the stupidest thing. And I I gave it back to him and I said, No, I'm not gonna read that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't and then the movie came out and anyway. Um and so yeah, I mean uh do some things sound weird, sure. But uh roll with it.
1: Yeah. Okay, Mount Doom.
0: So uh, <laughs> now, one thing that um, that you brought up actually before you even started reading it was this idea of Bilbo Baggins, the rich Hobbit. Um, do do you um, do you hold that against him?
1: I don't know. I don't hold it against him. I just uh, I, I was kind of a little tongue in cheek, jokingly, you know that Bilbo was the you know the one percent of hobbits. You know, there's <laughs> the 90, he has the wealth of the Shire, and the other ninety nine percent, just because of the the time we live in and kind of the world around us. It, it, it seemed a little funny, but I don't hold it against him. I mean, this is going to sound very right wing here, but he earned it. He went out and got it. Oh sure, sure. <laughs> you know he he did. How it. dare you sound so right wing? Mm-hmm but here's here's the other side of things he also gave it away quite freely
0: yeah in fact that was one of my favorite passages i don't have it queued up here but um yeah that's a, a great little thing that uh, is specified where i think it's is it sam i do might just be the narrator saying that yeah he's got all this money but he's always been very generous with it we never you know he was never uh yeah, they
1: talk about the 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 people uh, the the hobbits in the Shire take issue with Bilbo because he's you know he's been gone and he's not the same as everyone but they deal with the issues because he's so generous with the, with the money.
0: Okay, I've got it here. Um the gaffer, Sam's dad, uh in fact he's talking about uh about the generousness of Bilbo and and he complains he says there's not some there there are some not far away that wouldn't offer a pint of beer to a friend if they lived in a hole with golden walls. But they do things proper at Bag End. Our Sam says that everyone's going to be invited to the party and there's going to be presents, presents for all. Anyway, yeah, so um, I, I think it's, as far as what what can we take away, why is this, uh, you know, why is it a, a story for our day? Nothing wrong with being rich, especially if you earned it. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. You know, if you have the means to to be kind and generous to those around you, for heaven's sake, be kind and generous to those around you. You know, your 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 money, your wealth isn't um, uh, it's not it's not virtue in itself. You don't have to hoard it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it was actually one thing if you study uh, study American history, but there's a whole uh, time frame uh, where you have these essentially barons that appear. um, You know, that's actually the term they use and some of them you know they they hoard their riches and and their names are infamous uh, with you know other with some very dark uh, dark things but then there's a few of them out there who you know i will tell you this pretty much every rich man probably has a bit of a dark side to him uh, every man every man every woman um but you take uh, people like uh, andrew carnegie you know who mm-hmm. took a lot of his wealth created scholarship funds did a lot of things you know good things and i think that when you when you apply that sort of mentality which is what bilbo does he takes it, he has all this and he does good things with it you know he's you know he's providing for others he's not stingy with it and i think it does teach a lesson to us to say okay yeah it's okay to it's okay to have but make you know do what you can to to take care of those around you and and
0: bilbo uh achieves his wealth in spectacular fashion you know think uh a little more dangerous lottery um he leaves one day and he's a well-to-do hobbit as he's described um in the hobbit he's well to do meaning you know he probably doesn't have to work he he's he's independently wealthy Mm -hmm. but he's not you know not a one percenter he's not insanely rich but you know as far as these hobbits are concerned he is super rich overnight he comes back and he's got trunks full of gold um but i want to take a little bit different tack um in in uh, general hobbit culture uh, that we learn about a little bit in chapter one, um, the gaffer talks about how Bilbo uh, has learned Sam his letters. Uh, you know, he's he's taught Sam how to read and write, and and he says, uh, meaning no harm, Mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it. You know, so basically he's saying, well, Bilbo taught him how to read and write, and I'm sure he didn't mean anything bad by it. And hopefully, you know, nothing bad comes of it. But so there's this, uh, there's this idea... That um, the hobbits, uh, well, let me let me put it to you this way: What's better, hardworking, ignorant, happy folk, or knowledge that's going to get you involved with the world around you, maybe make you a little bit more cynical? Um, you know, th- so there's to be to be educated and cynical versus to be ignorant and and happy. Is there a dividing line there? Do you think there's a tendency? and which is better
1: the idea of one being better than the other is a little bit uh, it's difficult to say that that's a a good way to to approach it um because no one wants to be no one wants to be dumb and there's a difference between being dumb and being ignorant obviously Mm -hmm. um I do not think that the one is better than the other. Uh, I think that they will lead and lend to different. They lead and lend to different lifestyles, which is apparent uh, because in in the different lifestyles that exist, uh, that they end up taking. You know, Bilbo's had his. Uh, Sam will end up having his, and then the people of the Shire have have theirs. You know, are the people of the Shire worse off or for not having that knowledge? Not necessarily, but their lifestyle doesn't require that. You know, they don't require to have the education, things like that. Um, you know, for us today, I would I would probably lean a little bit towards being educated and involved in the world around you is better than being ignorant and happy. Um, but for this story purposes here, I don't see one being better than the other. You know, you survive just fine in the Shire and you will live your entire life in the Shire happy and, and able to go through. Um, and you won't leave your life at any point going, you know, maybe there was something better out there.
0: Right. So they're content.
1: Yeah, they're content. Yeah. But... You know that's, yeah.
0: All right. Um, let's see. Now I've got a few things, a few other things I wanted to go on to. Any other uh, points you wanted to touch on? Questions you had in the first two chapters?
1: Not really. I think we got most of them. My most of my hangups were just I don't understand why the ring is why it is what it is. Why is this? Why is the ring so incredibly powerful?
0: <laughs> sure. And uh, you know one thing about that. I, I guess we'll go back to that for just a second because a thought just occurred to me. Um which is that maybe he doesn't describe it to us because he wants us to be firmly planted in the shoes, so to speak of the hobbits. You know, he wants us to come at it from their point of view. And Gandalf obviously knows a lot more about what's going on than he explains to Frodo. He doesn't have time and he knows Frodo's not going to understand it anyway. And so he just doesn't bother with it. Um, and maybe that's where Tolkien wants us to be. He wants us to understand just as much as his main pro- protagonist
1: does. Well, I can, I can, I can deal with that. I, I don't like it, but I can deal with it. <laughs> so, all right. Now, another question,
0: uh, that comes up for me, um, with regards to Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, versus other novels, uh, versus other fantasy fiction, uh, and science fiction, um, is, uh, is how it's received as a um as as a piece of art um did you have any impression as you were reading it like oh this guy he's not very good at writing i like the story uh, but he's not very good at writing or the other way around like oh he's an incredible writer
1: not particularly i have you know when i was reading it i i, I read through it and I, it, it the way Tolkien writes so far these first couple chapters it's enough to get the job done a little bit more at times than maybe we need but i think the main point of of a good author's work is to get a a, a story or a message across and i feel he's doing that so i i I would say you know it's good but it's nothing that i'm reading and going wow that was an incredible craft i'm just going you know I, i understand i get the story there's an image in my head running as I'm reading, you've done your job.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, there's a there's a huge difference between poetry and prose. And whenever I'm reading prose, what I want is f- to never think about the fact that this was written by somebody, if that makes sense. I want the words to kind of fade into the background. I don't, you know, obviously it can't be bad writing or that's going to jump out at me. Mm-hmm. And obviously it can't be incredibly poetic uh you know very skillfully crafted to the point of distracting me away from what's going on on the page
1: i i think there's a i want to throw this in there as you're saying that while i'm thinking about it there is a moment in there and it will occur more in the book series i know dealing with a moment of jarring you back into this is a writing okay what was that it is when he inserts songs into the middle of things <laughs> the only one that's in the first two chapters is bilbo going out yep. and he does and the road goes on yeah and i get to the songs and ha- and my inclination half the time is to go let me jump to the next paragraph because the songs are poetry and there is, that's there there is a break there and it's hey mm-hmm. look here's mm-hmm. something different and while i can envision Frodo or Bilbo or whoever going off and, and you know saying these words as they're going along, I have to assign it a tune. it's now a song it needs a tune it needs other things and it jars me out of the moment all right. it just that- so
0: you've you've just hit on one of the number one complaints of all people who read the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and a lot of critics as well, which is we hate the poems we hate the songs uh, get rid of them. We wish he would have gotten rid of them um and I uh, you know when we get a little bit further when we get to Lothlorien and, and they're singing the lament for Gandalf. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, okay, we can skip past this. Um, the Ents song about the Ent wives. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. That goes on. It drags, but a little thing like this, I actually, uh, put a little note here next to the road goes ever on and on because this actually, this particular poem will recur several times, but it's changed a little bit every time. And so the mood of it, uh, it's i think it's supposed to be setting the tone for what's going to be going on Mm -hmm. and so i'll read it it's only eight lines and so it's not gonna take me a terribly long time but i'll read it and i'll explain why i like it so much bilbo says uh, the road goes ever on and on down from the door where it began now far ahead the road has gone and i must follow if i can pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet and whither then i cannot say and And I feel like the tone here, he's trying to shift us, or at least get the idea in our heads that at some point we're going to shift from comfortable, you know, the door where it began, we are right at this opening door, from this comfortable solitude to joining the larger world. He gets, uh, you know, he goes onto this road and he pursues it until it joins a larger way with many people uh, on this road, this adventure of life or whatever and so the idea here is that uh he's trying to give us a foreshadowing of what's to come mm-hmm. in in you know in tonality at least
1: uh, and i and i get that and i think that i think that the, all the songs and everything they have a place and they they can they can make a difference to the story and to tone and to to truly understanding what's going on because you know there are moments in uh in in life generally where where music or something else will convey a, a feeling or a message much better than than just spoken word or anything else uh the the one thing that i hit the one thing that i i hit with it is like i said most of the time i hit the songs and i go you know i'll read a few lines and i'll just jump to the next paragraph mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. and it does not take away from the story sure which says to me i don't need these do i do they need to be taken out no they can be there. It's fine. But I just realized you're just I'm going. going I'm going to jump it. And if I want to, if I want to go back and look at the songs, I'll go back and look at the songs. You know, maybe I'm, there probably is. You know, put it in, take all the songs and say, you know, this song in appendix one or something like that. Go back and hear. You know, you can go back and review all the songs. And sure, sit here, sure. You know, if you really want to learn them, so you don't have to go back and try and find them. Uh, but you know, just realize that. I'm probably going to jump those most of the time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I think he may have, Tolkien may have realized that as well. Um, Maybe not. I mean, the dude loved poetry. (laughs) So he might have just figured everybody else did too. Um, But one of my favorite passages uh, in the first chapter is when Bilbo gets back after his little joke. And Tolkien um, accomplishes, I think, the same purpose in a prose passage. And it's really simple. He's just describing what's going on. But Bilbo comes back and he takes off his silk waistcoat. Um, this, you know, it's something that's very 19th century, you know, wealthy Englishman. And he starts putting on his travel-stained clothes and this dirty old cloak. He, he fastens on a sword with a, a leather scabbard. And so um, I, I'd never noticed it until this particular reading, actually, but this paragraph jumped out to me. It's like Tolkien is signaling exactly the same thing as as he does uh, a few paragraphs later in the poem which is we're putting away the modern comforts the things that you're used to and we're going to be diving into something you know uh something fantastic something adventurous so grab your sword because here we go mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounded vaguely dirty <laughs> <laughs> anyway
1: yeah never mind let that down slide <laughs> let it go um
0: now and 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 this is let me just say this as a parting shot on this point which is that um there are a lot of complaints and i've heard this recently actually from a friend of mine who's a huge tolkien fan that he's a he's a bad writer um and i i I would use this paragraph particularly um, and a lot of others i'm sure this won't be the last but uh, i think he's a fantastic writer Is he a great novelist? No. Heavens no. You know, this... And I think that's what a lot of people are getting at. But if we approach The Lord of the Rings as a novel, it's going to fail. Because, you know, this is hardly Dan Brown or Harry Potter or something that's going to keep those pages turning like crazy.
1: You just made so many enemies. (laughs) 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 By by going Harry Potter and and Dan Brown... Or name,
0: or name whatever you will. I mean, but there's, there's that idea that the modern novel, um, it, it has to be something that's exciting all the time that, you know, there's a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter and I've got to keep reading to find out what's going to happen. And we don't get that here. He's, you know, it, he's not a novelist. He's a storyteller. He's a myth maker. And he's going to take his time doing it. Um and so uh, you know that that would be my number one thing to to tell people is don't don't read it like a novel. Anyway, so he's not a novelist. Um he doesn't stick with conventional methods. He's switching voices all the time. Now he's the narrator, now he's speaking for Bilbo. You know, you're we're looking through Bilbo's eyes. And then in the next paragraph without even a break, oh no, it's Frodo now. You know, he's he's jumping all over the place. And I think it works. You know, it's not like he's difficult to follow, but it's so outside of the conventional technique of how to structure a book that we have to throw away any of our expectations uh, with regards to that so that we can enjoy uh, the things that are there to enjoy. And, and that brings me back to my original point, which is that he's a fantastic writer. And if you look at how he... Um, how he puts sentences together, which words he uses and how he structures a paragraph like this um, to, uh, to accomplish that purpose I was talking about of, of foreshadowing what's going to be coming later on in the story. He's extremely skilled at it. He's just not going to do it in the way that, uh, that a lot of people expect him to do it.
1: And that, that'll take some time to get used to, I guess I have one more question, I guess is a a question here. Um, and then we I, we can wrap it up here. Is there a reason... Was there a reason in the text that I missed or something that I did, overlooked, the, some reason that Bilbo had to make his exit the way he made it? No, he wants to have fun. He He's, he's a farty old jokester. He just basically kind of... So it's really Bilbo just wanted to be like, hey, I just want one last laugh at these people's expense and then I'm out of here. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Just... <laughs> just making sure i didn't want them to be some like great symbolism there like I need to disappear from these people's lives forever no no i don't fashion. think
0: there's anything like that They'd he's just
1: legend of the shire 99 days of talking about what i'm about to do
0: <laughs> no i think um and and this is another uh, thing that speaks to the strength of tolkien's writing is that um he creates these very vivid characters and we'll we'll meet some characters later on that are very stereotypical um extreme in the extreme um but he does have the ability uh, when he feels like it's necessary to draw a character's uh personality such that uh that he keeps it very interesting um and bilbo's one of those and so that's just his personality he's uh he he thinks it's funny it's a prank you know and uh, he wanted to see their faces so um uh, no i don't see any great reason there um Good. Well, I, I don't think that I had anything else. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of meat, uh, in chapter two that we didn't dive into and that we probably won't. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of it is just going to be, you know, like Gandalf does, there, rehashing the story. So yeah. boring. Yeah. Um, so we won't do that here. What, what we'll do is, uh, pick a few more chapters, um, and, uh, and continue to try to address these uh, these questions that we've had about Tolkien as a as a writer or as an author, about the popularity of The Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, and some of the meaning behind it, and what we can get out of it uh, in future podcasts as well. So hopefully the next few chapters will continue to shed some light on that. Um, as a parting shot, uh, I think Ryan has found a uh, an Elvish translator. Uh, I, I was just
1: I was just thinking ahead a little bit to. Some sort of uh, uh, an appropriate way to say, au revoir. Yeah, well, to say until we meet again. or <laughs> And I was hoping that there was a good Elvish phrase for that. And I've been struggling to try and find one. You know, I don't think I know your face is a very you know a good one. But maybe if we, you we, if you
0: tell <laughs> me I know your face in Elvish, I'm going to punch you in yours. <laughs> um. Yeah. Good. Good heavens! I wish I'd learned Elvish better when I was eighteen. But it's very
1: rarely a phrase you will hear someone say I wish I had learned (laughs) Elvish better when I was a teenager. (laughs) Not really. But but yeah, but really. It is yeah, it is
0: it's a little bit sad how many little words here and there I do know in Elvish. So
1: I I have zero problem with people using other languages, regardless of of whether they are what most would consider practical languages, you know, Spanish, English, French, German, whatever. Chinese, um, you know, if you want to learn Klingon, learn Klingon. Fan-tastic. It's good for you. It, you're exercising your brain. You're learning something new. Fantastic. So much for so. signing off with a parting shot, huh?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, until we meet again, uh, we will be doing the next few chapters, and uh, we'll see how Ryan is progressing in his uh, his Lord of the Rings immersion. Oh, <laughs> next week, uh, yeah. See if you can uh, get me to do my Gollum voice. I'll I'll give you a good one.